The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Welcome to the Noel Family Dinner. I want to take you back about three decades, plus a little bit. I'm not going to give my age away completely, but I was in high school. And if you can imagine my two older brothers, my sister, my mom and dad sitting here at the table. My mom turned 85 yesterday, so... I don't think it'd be too cool to like make her drive all the way down here for the setting, but I want you to follow along uh, with the dialogue just a little bit as uh, I'm going to play all the characters here at the table. So my dad would typically read a little scripture. He would pray. He would say amen. And there were just usually a lot of conversations going on, something like this. Can you please pass some meat? My goodness, save some for the rest of us. Well, you eat half the potatoes every night. It's like you have worms. What's wrong with you? My mom would respond, ha boys, don't fight about the food. There's plenty of potatoes and and more meat in the oven. You don't have to fight about that. Okay, mom, thanks. So who are you playing Friday night? Oh, Grand Rapids Christian. They got, we beat them last year, but here they got some monster tight ends going D1. Well, don't let them beat you deep like the guy did last week. I know. Thank you very much. You know the whole stands? Can hear Coach Zomerly when he yelled at you? Fred Noel, you airhead. Like, thank you. That's very encouraging. Well, I'm looking forward to, to going three-wheeling with Fuzz on Saturday. That's going to be a good time. Well, I need you three boys to, to help me clear brush on Saturday. Mike, Dad, can't we do that on Friday? No, we have to do it on Saturday. I can't, we can't do it on, on Friday. I have to do it on Saturday. Can we just switch it? I already have plans to go with Fuzz. No, why not? Because I said so. So that's kind of how it would go. My dad would read scripture, like I said, and pray almost every time we'd have family dinners together. For a brief period of time, I think my parents wanted us to learn Dutch. She would actually read out of the Dutch Bible, translated by someone named Anna de Vries. My oldest brother would enthusiastically mock the whole scenario, and uh, my other brother and I would join in, and we would pound on the table kind of like this. Anna de Vries, Anna de Vries. We would all laugh, and if I did that today, they would all join in and laugh hysterically immediately. But just a lot of memories and connections. Um, when I was in high school, I invited a friend uh, that would come and have, have dinner with us sometimes. And uh, he was just deeply intrigued and, and um, just seemed like he felt something new when he was at, at dinner with us. Um, I learned over time, he was from a single parent home, not that this is always true, but they didn't have uh, dinners together very much as home. And uh, it was a special time for him to join us in that. Now, every family dinner is different. I don't know if you all have family dinners on a regular basis, if you grew up with that. But when I first experienced that with my wife's family, uh, it was a little different culture. She had two older sisters that had already moved on. And uh, when I sat down to dinner with them for the first time, it was before we were married. And uh, it, it was kind of like this. You know, they, they prayed to open as well. And then uh, they put their napkins on their laps and it was very quiet, which I wasn't used to. So I cut my chicken. Eat, er, eat, er, eat. <laughs> so, Mr. Stevens, how's, how's tennis going? Pretty well. Playing a couple times a week. Eat, er, eat, er. I'm like, honey, help me out here. I'm like, so your, your rentals, um, are they full? Do you have vacant? No, no. They're all full. Yeah, not, not, not too busy with that. Eat, er, eat. I'm like, either this guy hates me or he just doesn't want to get to know me. If you've seen Shrek, it was almost like when Shrek had dinner with Fiona at Fiona's parents' castle. And you're like, mmm, delicious. Just a different culture. But what I learned over time is he didn't have to say much. At his funeral, I called him the loudest, quiet man I ever met. His life spoke so powerfully 
because of the way he lived for Jesus Christ, he didn't really have to say a whole lot of words. Now, as many of you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn to be more like that. James 1.19, quick to listen, slow to speak. And so I have sincerely tried to be more like my father-in-law who passed away uh, about 20 years ago. But family dinners um, have been incredibly important in my life, in my wife's life. As our kids grew up, we had family dinners together. And uh, inevitably, a lot of you can relate to this, when they were in high school, their friends would just conveniently stop over around dinner time. Lots of them. And it would be a whole group. My wife would always accommodate them. She was so good, has, has such a gift of hospitality. Powerful time. So over time, uh, she invited guests from our food pantry to come to our dinner table. There were some special needs individuals that she would drive to church and they would come to our dinner table. There were many people over time that would sit at our dinner table. It was a powerful time. We had some ladies from a rehabilitation facility that would come on Christmas Eve and we would go out and go Christmas caroling. And you know, it's kind of becoming a lost art in America. The Survey Center on American Life indicates that Gen Zers reported about 38% of them grew up having family dinners compared to 76% of baby boomers. So half the percentage of, Gen, of, of the baby boomers is the Gen Zers. And, and Gen Xers are about in the middle there, 59%. So over the decades, it's becoming less and less and less. While I was finalizing this message on Friday morning, I had an email uh, from All Pro Dads. I get that regularly. Maybe some of you do as well. And it started out just, family dinners, exclamation point in quotes. And it was a story about a dad that was driving with his teenage daughter. And he was asking questions, making conversations. What's one thing that you would miss if our family didn't do it anymore? And to his surprise, the big smile on her face, she said, family dinners. Just recognizing how even though he said she's usually the last one there to the dinner table, it doesn't seem like she really wants to be there. There's still a deep value. As we look at Jesus' life, he did a lot of ministry over meals. He did a ton of ministry over meals. The early church had a high, high value on having meals together. So as we're looking at developing habits of highly questionable people, Lance talked last week about simply blessing people. So I have the privilege this week of talking about one of my favorite things ever, eating. We're just talking about eating. How important it is just to eat with people. We see that example again and again where Jesus welcomes people that no one thought he should hang out with to the dinner table and how powerful that is. So my goal, my, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will, will transform us to recognize how powerful those opportunities are. We have to eat about three times a day, 21 times a week. You all do that. We have the opportunity. You don't have to do anything more other than just invite someone into that space. So let's uh, bow our heads a minute and ask God to lead us in that. Can we do that? God in heaven, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have created us to desire community. You've created us, Lord, to, to desire to be connected, not only to you, but to other people. Speak to us through your word today. God, I just pray again that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, Lord, will be pleasing to you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus spent time with a lot of very questionable people, a lot of people of ill repute, sinners, they call them, prostitutes. 
And uh, I want you to turn with me to Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. We're going to get into God's word and take a look at one such story where Jesus invited himself to someone's house that no one in the Jewish circles would want to spend time with. Luke 19, 1 through 10, uh, the, the heading in my Bible simply said, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And if you were a Jew at that time, that's all you needed to hear to just about be ready to throw up what a tax collector was. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 1 in Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Like, what is he doing? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So we talk a lot about here wanting to be with Jesus. I want to spend time alone with him in his word and in prayer. I want to be like Jesus. Remember back in the 90s? What would Jesus do? I almost want to ask who's got a WWJD bracelet on right now because there's probably about a dozen of you. Remember that? What would Jesus do? How about we bring that back? But we change it a little bit. What would Jesus do if he were me now? What would Jesus do if he were me now? Well, I like this example of being like Jesus because Jesus didn't just invite someone to lunch. He's kind of like, hey, hey, Paul, I'm going to your house for lunch today. I like that plan. I can do that. Brian, I'm going to your house for lunch today. Uh, I, I could invite myself over, but he welcomed people in. Not that Paul or Brian are worse sinners. I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they're hiding something. But he, he invited himself to their house. So what should we do first and foremost? We should simply eat with people. Simple. We should eat with people. That's what we should do. You know, Samuel Jackson of Capital One says it's kind of genius. You know, it kind of is. We have to do it anyway. Truly. So when you think of Zacchaeus being a tax collector and you think of what that meant. So being a Jew and being ruled by the Roman, the Roman Empire, he basically sided with the Romans. And not only did he collect taxes for them, but the money that he collected for his own wage was above and beyond what the taxes were. So he could really set it out whatever he wanted. So when he, it's kind of funny when he says, if I cheated anyone out of anything, it's kind of like he cheated everybody out of everything he had, and it says he was wealthy. But if you can think of who is the, the lowest person on, on the, 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 the rung of society, so to speak? That if you were to hang out with them, who would that be? Zacchaeus represents that. There's other stories in the Bible that represent a prostitute. And, but who is that in our society? It's not an IRS agent. Sorry if any work for the IRS. But a tax collector was, was different than that. But who would that be? Would it be the obnoxious neighbor? 
But when you're out talking to your neighbors, you're like, yeah, look what he did now and look what he's doing. Did you hear them last night? Or would it be the annoying coworker? If you were to invite that person to lunch, I would be like, what's wrong with you? Would it be the dirty homeless, homeless person or, or a drunk? I've gone by the library and seen a, a homeless lady sitting in front of the library there, a special needs individual maybe that you know. Who would, who would that be? And I'm not, just, I'm not just talking hypothetically. I'm going to say this again and again. Like, we want to eat with those people. And I don't just want you to meet. This is an us thing. Imagine if we lived this out, if we really did this. How powerful that would be. If, if people knew that the people from White River just hung out, they invited anybody into their circle, included them. Not just once, but developed relationships. That's what the early church did. Let's take a look at that. Look at Acts 2, starting in verse 42. Let's look at the early church example. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. They ate together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and again, shared their meals as if you didn't hear it the first time. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Who doesn't want to be at a party with, with food, right? Jesus was, was accused of being a glutton and a partier because he was hanging out with people. He had fun. I really believe that. So we need to eat with people, but we also need to eat with purpose. There was purpose behind this. I love getting together with our small group. And, and not every group can do this because of schedule or kids can be hard, but we have dinner every time we get together. We rotate the host and uh, they provide the main dish and other people bring other items and, and we have a meal together. And it's great. It's lots and lots of fun. That, that table fellowship, it, it can't be overestimated how important that was in the first century in Jewish culture. Um, powerful, powerful time. I want to read a couple quotes, how, how difficult it is to overestimate that. So from the, this article, Life in the Kingdom, Meal as Symbol of Jesus' Mission by Sarah Sehu, she quotes James Dunn that says, in Jewish thought, Abraham and Job were extolled as the models of hospitality. Have you ever heard that? Never heard that. That was just kind of inherent to their thinking. Joachim Jeremiah says, in Judaism in particular, table fellowship means fellowship before God. Just this very sacred time of being at the table. Now it says, uh, inviting people to meal, to meal is to offer them peace and trust and life. When you're at that table, you're, you're included. Mealtimes had become a ritual of intimacy. So an invitation to a meal was the most powerful form of inclusion in their society. And listen to this. Inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation at the table was the most meaningful and redeeming message of the redeeming love of God. Read that again. Inclusion of sinners 
in the community of salvation at the table. That's what this means. And you know when you're in someone's house to have a meal, your relationship is just different with them, isn't it? Once you've been at their house and had a meal, next time you see them, it's just different. It was the most meaningful and redeeming message of the redeeming love of God. Now, I don't know if if I've ever done this, but I'm actually going to use, I'm just going to confess up front, use a quote that Andrew Smiley used in a a previous sermon. I thought, boy, that just, that fits perfectly with this hospitality. And, And it's powerful just in terms of how this was recognized and the impact that it had. And so in the fourth century, the Roman emperor Julian recognized how this little group of of Christians, he calls them atheists, Galileans were reaching out to people in need and how they had grown from just a group of hundreds to literally many millions of believers in only 300 years. This isn't with big programs, churches, paid pastors. This is just people sharing stories, loving each other, caring for each other, living this thing out. Living this Christian life out, being apprentices of Jesus and following in the way of Jesus. This is what he says. It says, For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked, then I think the impious Galileans observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they gained their ascendancy in the worst of their deeds. He continued, By the same method I say, the Galileans also begin with their so-called love feast, sometimes called agape feast, or hospitality or service, They have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is that they have led very many into atheism. So call it atheism because they didn't believe in all the many pagan gods, but they were believing in the one true God. And he saw this growth. The the most powerful ruler of the then known world recognized this, that these Galileans were spreading and multiplying like crazy because of that simple fact. Just imagine if we lived that out. What would gnomes look like? What would our community look like? In our homes, what could they be used for? Let's take a look at 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. And uh, here, just the urgency that Peter shares in regards to our responsibility. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Starts with, the end of the world is coming soon. Right? It's pretty urgent. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, whenever you read the word therefore, maybe you heard this before, you really want to figure out what it's there for. The end of the world is coming soon. So this is important. So what do we do? Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Okay, makes good sense. Take time to pray. Spend time with the Lord. Get on your knees. Most important of all, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. So now he tells us how to share love and how to do the most important thing. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal. Isn't that crazy? Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal. What do we do? Pull in the garage, garage door goes down. Who need a meal or a place to stay? God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Yeah, no pressure there for me, right? Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. So we eat with people. We eat with purpose. We eat with passion. 
Weep with passion. The end of the world is coming soon. We need to be urgent about this. This is important. It might sound silly, but I'm telling you, these basic things make such a difference. If we live this out, follow Jesus' example, the example of the early church, this, it is important. And it's, it's odd to our culture. We just don't do it very much. I don't think there's many people that really have that gift of hospitality. You know, it's an incredibly important piece. You know, hospitality, the word, the Greek word, philozenos, okay? Philo is like the, the, the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We know where you get that. Xenos is strangers. Hospitality, when it's translated, really literally means love strangers, outcasts. That's what the word means. So John Mark Comer, uh, pastor in uh, Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, um, he did a whole series on uh, eating and other series um, on uh, hospitality. And I love this. He says, we need to love people into the kingdom one meal at a time. Love them to the kingdom, one meal at a time. It's powerful, it's effective. So the Survey Center on American Life uh, talks about some other percentages and the fact that people that indicate they have no close friends quadrupled since 1990. 54% of people surveyed say they sometimes or always feel no one knows them well. Loneliness in America is unbelievable. Up to 40% say they have zero, zero close friends or confidence. A lot of you sitting here now, you're thinking, that's me. That's me. I don't have anybody that I can really talk to. But if you had meals with people, you had people you spent time with, you would develop that. That's important. American suicide is up 30% last two decades. You know, maybe if we did it this way, sharing Jesus would look a whole lot less like a sales pitch and a whole lot more like love, like we see in Jesus' life and through the Gospels. You know, about a year ago, uh, I was asked by the activities director at the Lodge, um, assisted living facility. We're, we, we visit uh, members of, of White River. We've got a rotation. A lot of you may not know that, but to visit shut-ins and, and bring them the Lord's Supper. And so I was visiting there and got to know the activities director. And she said, you know, there's a group of guys here that, that don't get visited that much. And uh, would you be willing to, to just have dinner with them? I'm like, man, I would love to do that. I just, let's see if I can get some volunteers to help out. I'm not sure I can do that. We're talking about it twice a month. And, and you know, to add that to my schedule, um, I want to make sure I can commit to that. Time went by. She wanted to start it in March of last year. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll just do it. I'll find some volunteers that, that can come. And over time, I'll pass it on. And so we started doing it. So now we do a dinner on one Wednesday night. And then two weeks later, we do a breakfast. And I call it the bro club. And there's these guys that hang out. And we have this meal. And I have a volunteer that does dinner with us and I have a volunteer that does breakfast with us. But I'm having a really hard time pulling out because I love these guys. They're so interesting. They're so fun. There's a guy named Tom. He's 102 years old. He's got a shirt that says, took 102 years to look this good. And I'm not kidding you. He's, he's a ladies' man. I mean, he really is. He's always eating with these women. And he was a gunner, no lie, in World War II on Normandy Beach on D-Day. The stories he can tell, and he doesn't want to obviously talk much about that, but just a wealth of information. So I met a lady at the food pantry, and she had come from California, and she said, yeah, my mom just moved here. She's in the lodge. I'm like, oh, I'm going there today to visit a lady. What's her name? Oh, Maggie. Okay, well, a couple months later, Maggie and Tom are talking. 
And I said, whoa, whoa, do I need to let Kathy know? Tom, you and Maggie, are you like starting to talk and spend some time together? And uh, he says, well, honestly, Fred, 102-year-old guy, so sharp. He said, if we could both see each other, <laughs> if we could, we would probably run the other way. <laughs> it's like hilarious. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to touch that. But just, we just share a meal together. We talk, I share some scripture once, but it's not a, a Bible study, and, but we, we share scripture sometimes. They always want me to pray, and if I'm a minute late, Tom lets me know. You know, it's like, clock's ticking. But just sharing that meal is great. So uh, Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Isn't that a cool title? The Gospel Comes with a House Key. She talks about radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospital. Mind-blowing. Just have meals with people. It's crazy. So she was in the LGBTQ community and a professor at Syracuse. She wrote an editorial, Why the Extreme Right Uses the Bible as a Hate Tool. So a pastor wrote her a letter. said, Rosaria, I'd love for you to come to my house for dinner. So she responded. She's like, great. I have a research assistant, and I can you know, kind of ask him questions and pick his brain. And so she came to dinner. And uh, at the end of the dinner, the pastor gave her a hug and his wife gave her a, a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And they talked about how wonderful this time was together and talked about, hey, let's do this again next week. Okay. And she said, you know, what was most amazing. They didn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ the first time we get together. They didn't invite me to church. We just had a nice dinner together. Two years of doing this, she came to faith in Jesus Christ. Just investing in people, loving on people, being there for them is, is more powerful than we realize. You know, our houses, our apartments, whatever we live in, it's a gift from God. You've heard it said that a man's house is his castle. I've seen some castles, pictures, movies, even in real life. A lot of castles have moats with a drawbridge that's usually up. They have towers to protect the archers that have crossbows. Castles are designed to kill people who try to get in. I'm not sure that's the best picture of what we want our home to be. Maybe if our homes were more like places of healing and laughter and tears instead of a fortress to keep the world out and for us to escape away from the world, we invited the world into our homes to build some bridges. I'm just thinking, maybe that would be a better way to go. Now, you may not know, but uh, hospitality is a requirement of church leaders. It's a requirement. Take a look at Titus 1 verse 8. Titus 1 verse 8 just simply says, rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must enjoy having guests in his home. So elders, pastors, leaders, I think it's a requirement of everybody, but especially of leaders. We need to model this. So, you know, pastors have gotten fired, you know, all over for a number of things, right? Moral failure, stealing, like skimming money off, you know, the top from the church. You ever heard of a pastor getting fired for not practicing hospitality? Imagine, have you heard? Lance hasn't had anybody over to his house for three months. <laughs> He's gone. It's a requirement. 
That's a requirement. And it's not just for the women or our wives to that. My wife has a gift. She's very good at that. But if you're a single man or, or, or men, husbands, our role is in this as well. Ask your kids to initiate it. You know, push them to do it as well. And I, I think if, if we did this, the gospel would spread one meal at a time, one home at a time, one person at a time until people knew that we really did love the Lord. We really did love other people. And so the truth is that you're here, right? So you're not dead, so you're eating. Three times a day, 21 times a week, you all need to do that. You're like, I eat two meals a day. Okay, whatever. (laughs) One meal a day. We have to do this. And so no, no one's off the hook. So my challenge is simply, who will you eat with this week? Who will you eat with this week? Is it, is it someone on the card behind me? That's my, that's my personal challenge. That's what I want to do with the name I put on the card, is have them over to my house, he and his wife. And maybe that's who you can invite. But we talked this week about Lance's message and who have we blessed? Have we done that? We're not just here to chit-chat. Let's do this stuff. Let's do this. You have to eat. Think with me. Write in your phone or text a person. Hey, let's, let's have lunch this week. Let's get together for dinner. I want to encourage you to, to sincerely do this. Um, it's a powerful opportunity that we all have. And um, it's something that, that we see that Jesus did and want to be like Jesus. We see that the early church did it. We're following that example. And we're commanded to do it in Scripture. We want to do it joyfully, sincerely. We all pray with me and we'll ask God to lead us in doing this. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity we have. Lord, you're so good to us. You've given us so much. Lord, you've given so many of us great homes. Help them not to be castles that keep people out. God, help us to open our homes reach out to people. If we don't cook, help us to get DoorDash or take out, go to a park if we don't have a, a place we feel like we can take them. But show us how we can simply show people love by sharing a meal. Lead us in that, Father. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.